It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 185, The Events of 701 B.C. and the Pool of Siloam. John 9, 6. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. In this episode, we continue our account of the story of Hezekiah, and we speak to the creation or the expansion of the Pool of Siloam, which became the place of one of Jesus' most famous miracles. And as a follow-up to the last episode, Hezekiah makes a bold move and attacks in the Philistine territory. He captures Philistine territory in a very swift amount of time, and his reputation grows, giving him some buffer against them, Assyrians. The Egyptians and Babylonians are obviously impressed because envoys start showing up in Jerusalem. This is around the time when Isaiah conducts his naked fast and Hezekiah falls deathly ill. Hezekiah's engineering feat, which is confirmed by archaeological discoveries, occurs at the same time. And also coming up, we have the visit of the Babylonian prince um, and then the future invasion by the Assyrians. So there's so much going on. Here are some of the scriptures if you want to read ahead. And we'll try to piece together all of these chronologically and how the timing of reasons for our decisions. We'll try to slip in to kind of make it flow with the accounts, but I try to explain why um, sometimes the biblical account isn't actually chronological. And it'll probably take three, probably even four episodes to cover all of this. Uh, and then we plan to do the audio drama as well. Um, here's the scripture, 2 Chronicles 29 through 32, 2 Kings 18 through 20, and then you've got a huge section of Isaiah 13 through 39. 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles read more like a history book than a book in the Bible, while the chapters of Isaiah read more like organized prophecies with a broken timeline. For example, there's the scene with Hezekiah's healing in Isaiah 38, but it references the future deliverance from Assyria, which actually occurred in the previous chapter. See, it's organized by story, almost appendix style, yet not by chronology. There is the payoff of the king of Assyria in 2 Kings 18.16, but another attack by the king of Assyria in the next sentence. 2 Kings 18.17. Is this a separate attack? Some scholars say this happened years later. Or um, like Josephus, he says immediately the king takes the money and attacks again. I'm not so sure, but we'll try to piece together the timeline and the stories. Um, There's indications there's one attack by the Assyrians, and other indications there was many separate attacks, maybe even three. Not completely sure 
but we probably lean towards one true confrontation, but we'll cover it in our story. Isaiah has a fast in Isaiah 20, where he is naked for three years. That would mean he is naked all through this story, which is crazy. And his naked fast falls right in line with uh, the words that he gives to the foreign nations. And as the ambassadors come from Babylon and Egypt, this is most likely when Isaiah actually prophesies to the ambassadors. Do not, and then he speaks to Hezekiah, do not ally yourself with another, or you will find yourself naked and abandoned by everyone, even God. See, Isaiah's message is, do not uh, create an alliance with other nations. Do not put your faith in other nations. Trust in God alone. Um, Another thing about Isaiah is his faith in kings. When Ahaz failed, he got many different words about God's kingdom to come and related to the end of the age and revelations of Jesus. When Hezekiah arrives, it's almost like um, the world conflict just ups its level, its notch. Um, and, and, and even in the midst of revival, it's like I, God is pulling Isaiah back into the now, to minister to the now. And Isaiah prophesies to the powers that be and the mini- and even ministers to the king, Hezekiah himself. And when Hezekiah dies, Isaiah's prophecies shift more to the eternal kingdom because he loses his faith quite quickly in Hezekiah's son. And Isaiah prophesies a lot at that point about Jesus and his death and his resurrection. He's always looking to the good and true king whether on earth or in heaven. Isaiah is a kingdom man. All right, here is the main offense to come. Lots coming. So let's give a bit of a summary first. Hezekiah, and I'm going to try to give this in order here. Hezekiah has his revival bringing souls to the revelation of God. Hezekiah breaks with his alliance with Assyria, aggressively attacks the Philistines, potentially makes an alliance with Egypt and Babylon. He probably doesn't, but he courts them too long. He allows them into his uh, inner courts, and he, he welcomes them. He probably doesn't actually finally sign the alliances with those countries, but they're all part of the story. There's a reference to a sign by the Babylonians, which we'll discuss later, Um, This sign is heavenly in nature and related to something else. Um, While Hezekiah has these great successes, the Bible says he literally falls into pride. One verse says the Lord allows him to be tested and he finds pride in him. This pride and the dishonor um, that he potentially showed to his father, which which I'm going to try to cover more of, invites an er and sickness into his life. How does the second commandment go? Honor your mother and father, and it will go well with you, and you'll have a long life. I'm suggesting regarding Hezekiah's relationship with his father that he didn't honor him. More on this later. Then as ambassadors come from Egypt and Babylon to court Hezekiah, Isaiah has the audience he's looking for to prophesy destruction to these states as he prophesies naked. Hezekiah finishes engineering feat, which can be found and proven today. Hezekiah's illness increases as he shows the Babylonians his treasure room. The Assyrians invade. The Egyptian army is destroyed in Gaza. Judah's army flees. 
Hezekiah continues to get sick. The Assyrian army besieges Lachish and the conflict escalates. Hezekiah gets, um, he prays about his sickness and something amazing happens. The Assyrian general defies Hezekiah and blasphemes God and Hezekiah pleads with heaven. And death arrives to end our story. So what we have coming up is just an unbelievably complex, amazing storyline written by God himself. So we've got such an amazing plot coming up. Um, And the next few episodes are going to just roll into each other. Um, I'm going to slice and dice the biblical accounts to try to get them chronological. From 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, the book of Isaiah, there's a culmination and a good amount of highs and lows here. You've got a seemingly huge victory and then something dramatic happens, followed by another culmination and near complete catastrophic defeat where only God can come in and save the day. All seems lost until the very, very end. And if you can, act like you don't know what happens in the very end of this story. And if you don't know the final conclusion at this point, I'm not going to give away any more spoilers. And we're going to shift away from the Bible study reading um, or a studious kind of approach where we're quoting the scriptures to more of a storytelling view for the next three or four episodes. Let's go after this incredibly thick plot with God's man through and through Hezekiah. Though he's flawed, he's an awesome king. The horrible demons of Mordor, the Assyrians, are at the gates. And this most powerful story will be one for us kings to learn from. Oh man, this is going to be fun. All right, so let's start the story. Let's begin with um, Hezekiah's engineering project. Hezekiah is spending considerable time on an engineering project. The project appears rushed, and Hezekiah employs two teams to dig from two directions to meet in the middle to provide a variety of functions. Here's an encyclopedia entry regarding Hezekiah's engineering project and tunnel. Hezekiah's tunnel. Hezekiah's tunnel was dug in the reign of Hezekiah, about 701 BC. It was dug in bedrock for over half a kilometer, about 40 meters from the Gihon Spring and the Pool of Siloam. Its purpose was to deny water to the Assyrian army under Sennacherib that was expected to lay siege to Jerusalem and provide a main water source to Jerusalem during the siege. It is a winding tunnel, 533 meters in length, and has approximately a 0.6% gradient, causing water to flow along its length from the spring to the pool. The tunnel was discovered by the American biblical archaeologist Edward Robinson in 1838 and explored by Warren and others. So taking this story pretty techy here, here's an engineering article uh, found from an engineering website. It has a lot more detail. Hezekiah's Tunnel, still a functioning water course almost 3,000 years later, connects the Gihon Spring to the Pool of Siloam, or Hezekiah's Pool, specifically constructed at the south end of Jerusalem, where the king had extended the outer defenses. Thus the Bible calls the pool the reservoir between the two walls, 
The direct distance between the spring and the reservoir is 1,100 feet, but the winding tunnel is 1,730 feet long. On average, it's about three feet wide and varies between three and nine feet in height in places, and it's 150 feet beneath the surface of the hilly city. The tunnel was excavated by two groups of workers, starting at each end and cutting towards each other through the rock to eventually connect. The Salome Tunnel inscription engraved on one of the walls and found in, 18, in the 1880s celebrated their meeting. While there were still three cubits to be cut through, there was heard the voice of one man calling to his fellow, for there was an overlap in the rock on the right, and when the tunnel was driven through, the quarrymen were thrilled, each man towards his fellow, axe against axe, and the water flowed from the spring towards the reservoir for 1,200 cubits. Intriguingly, the indirect course of Hezekiah's tunnel penetrated hard rock while missing softer deposits. Several explanations have been offered for its meandering course. Perhaps the diggers followed a sequence of fissures and crevices uh, in the limestone under Jerusalem. Perhaps they tried to avoid disturbing the tombs of the kings, or perhaps there was a need to continually reorient themselves, evidenced by a number of false starts and the angle at which the two parts meet. Or perhaps they were led by the Spirit. So Hezekiah rushed a civil defense project, an engineering water project, and succeeds incredibly. The creation of the cutting of the rock was the eventual pool of Siloam and the place of Jesus' healing of the blind man. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, let's consider what even can happen with a submitted plan to God. Even engineers and scientists and inventors can arrive at brilliant solutions. You've got to imagine Hezekiah and the chief engineers of this project doing an ESPN play-by-play with the accompanying minute-by-minute prayers on their status of the project. Imagine with me the tenseness of the moment when the two sides of the diggers converged on each other. It must have been very intense, and the inscription write-up must have been pure joy, and such that they recorded it play-by-play with the precise measurements. And somehow the grade was calculated perfectly, and they converged to meet each other. This is not something you would normally do in these ancient times without the modern tools of precise measurements. It was clearly a rush job. It was too risky, but God was in it. Obviously, the Lord was guiding these workers. Have you ever considered if God was in your, your business or your projects? Well, God is involved in your projects, all of them, if you invite him. And God wants to be a part of every part of your life. He wants to be into everything about you, from your relationships, your family, your free time, your work, and your assignments. He cares about what you do and say and how you do it. Commit whatever you do unto the Lord, and He will give you success. Here we are, engineers committing their work to the Lord and seeing great success. So we arrive at one of my favorite scriptures of all time. Proverbs 16.3 NIV Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. New Living Translation Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Or the King James is even more interesting. Commit your works unto the Lord, and your thoughts shall be established. 
basically the King James right there is saying the plan here is the engineering project. And if they committed it to God, the mind of the engineers and Hezekiah and who's ever working it is the mind of Christ. Is that profound? We have that ability as well. Commit your ways, your work, your projects to the Lord, and he will make them a success. He will give you his mind and his heart for what you're doing. And if we doubt their success, we have archaeology to confirm it. And to think maybe Hezekiah actually gets some credit for he helped build out the pool where the blind man received his sight 700 years or more later. Could it be Hezekiah literally received some generational spiritual fruit just leaping in faith with an engineering project that he actually gets some kind of kudos in heaven because he built the pool where the man got healed later? Without the pool of Siloam, there may not have been this exact miracle. Maybe something different. But Hezekiah actually played a part this time because he created the pool. Isn't that cool? Whatever is given to the Lord as great success and even great fruit and even eternal heavenly fruit. Let's wrap up today with some practical tips on how to be led by the Spirit. If these engineers were led by the Spirit... We know Hezekiah was led by the Spirit. Why can't we? Here's a few tips on how to be led by the Spirit. And we go back to the one we already did is commit your ways to the Lord and your your thoughts will be established. You will have God's ideas for your projects and, and, and your work or whatever it is. God will give you divine ideas. So first of all, surrender all to Jesus. Follow him by repenting of sins and errors of the past and turn to Jesus. That's a start. Next, whatever you do, hold your hands out and surrender. Whatever it is you're you're giving over to Jesus, your family, your relationships, your work, your projects. Okay, so now it's his. Yay. Now you must act in faith. But all ownership is on God now and it takes the pressure off of you. Once it is God's, he is invited to work on your behalf, and more importantly, his behalf will produce heavenly fruit. So then, make sure you pray about your major decisions. Be spirit-led in the decision-making process. Invite Jesus to help you make the right decision as your project progresses. In the case of the miners, whenever something got rough or they broke their tools or rock became too tough, they would have prayed. Do we dig right? Do we dig left? Up? Down? Where do we dig next? Somehow they went in the right direction, consistently going around the harder strata. There are many ways to confirm the next direction and listen to God. Go with the peace you have in your heart. Pray. Ask friends to pray. Listen to trusted counsel. Follow your heart. Listen to the still, small voice. See, there's so many ways if you surrender and trust in him, he'll show you. If he can lead miners over 2,000 years prior to the Industrial Revolution to dig a perfect water mine shaft, you can trust him with your work and projects and whatever you surrender to him. 
Can you imagine a world where the decisions are all spirit-led? What a place it would be. It's heaven. But Jesus told us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Understand our projects, our work, our architecture, or table, even table settings can all be spirit-led. Our marriages, our friendships, everything can be spirit-led. Hezekiah and his miners were spirit-led, and today there is evidence of his engineering achievement, and we have the healing of the blind man in Jesus' day. God, let us understand there is a greater level, and be we can be your people and pursue a life inspired by, filled with, and led by the Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are invited to inspire and infill our life to make it a successful, abundant, filled life with fruit on earth and heavenly eternal fruit that lasts far into the next generation. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page if you want to chat. Email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.